Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Upside Swings Draft Podcast, the podcast with the highest ceiling, and officially your NBA draft podcast for the Rise Podcast Network. Uh, we are here with Rise to bring you everything and anything NBA draft related. Hope you enjoy. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Upside Swings Draft Podcast, podcast the highest ceiling. I'm your host, Bryce Hendricks. Stories always by the great Stone Hansen, the wonderful Cooper Klein, and special guest back on the pod, CJ Marchesani. Uh, I think probably only our second two-time guest on the pod, so very excited to have him on. CJ, my friend, how are you doing? I'm good. Good to be here. Who beat me on for the uh, second time? Uh, Chuck. Chuck was on. Uh, what's... Once you're on twice, you're now considered a friend of the pod. So great. absolutely good. Yeah, CJ's been a friend of the pod since before yeah, the pod true. even that's started. True. We would not be the Upside Swings Draft Pod if not for his input on our name. So he's honorary. This is his millionth time on the pod, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I have but, to uh, share friend of the pod with anybody. I'm glad it's Chuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chuck the best um but cj is is seriously one of the best draft minds out there you can follow him at cj marchesani um he of course runs roll call which is one of the sites i write for uh the first site i ever wrote for where all my draft work is so go support everyone on there it's a huge huge jump in in content right now because there's uh every team has someone covering it coop is working for roll call and then cj also writes for the step in which is huge the step in is the place to go for draft coverage so uh can't wait to have cj on talk about some 2022 returners but before we do that stone coop how are you guys doing doing well it's been a while since we've uh gotten the band back together and and done some actual non-live show stuff so it's cool to uh talk talk to you guys for uh for a while here yeah been missing everybody uh nice to talk to cj uh you know just talk some talk some returners let's get into it absolutely it's hard to think of a more uh exciting topic than get you talk about a lot of dudes who probably won't even get drafted i mean for me this is my heaven uh for those who follow my draft work they know that there's nothing i love more than ranking a million guys who will never ever touch even a G League roster so we're not talking we're not going that deep but we are talking about a lot of guys here a lot of really interesting guys um, and we're going to start with a glut of wings this might only be part one wings we'll see how this goes we'll see how long we go uh, and we're going to start with I think all of our if I were to guess top returner that's Benedict Matherin um, you could argue he's a guard but we're going to put him in with the wings he is six six um Really solid athlete, really, really good shooter. Uh, I believe almost had a 50-40-90 season in Arizona last year. And he's going to step into a role as the guy uh, at U of A this year. So, CJ, um, do you want to give us your thoughts on Matherin, how you felt about him last season, and how you feel about him going into this year? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll lead you with a little spoiler. He's actually not my top returner. Um, but I do have him in the lottery. Uh, or very early lottery for next year. And I think that he's just an absolute offensive weapon, right? The, the combination of the athleticism and the shooting and a general IQ plus the ability to hang um, on the floor on defense, it's just huge. It's just a gigantic baseline. And freshmen that were as productive on the offensive end as he was really have a hard time failing to like make that jump as a sophomore. So I'm expecting a big season from Ben. 
And I would be pretty shocked if he fell outside of the top 20 by the time the draft comes around in 2022. Yeah. I mean, it was honestly a shock that he wasn't a 2021 draft pick, to be honest. I, I really felt like he was trending up on a lot of boards. Uh, I really think he, if he had stayed in, he might've gone top 20 he would have been one of the younger players in last year's class. I think he might've been the type of guy who goes 12 and it's kind of shocks the world instead of a primo. Um, but instead he's here and he's going to get a chance to really step up that usage. Um, so that's why I want to throw it to Coop. Uh, speaking of kind of stepping up that usage, uh, last year he played mostly off ball, uh, where he looked really, really solid, excellent shooter. He shot off some movement, um, some pull-ups, but not a lot. And then uses athleticism to cut to the rim really effectively. But as he's going to step in more into an on-ball role, Coop, what are you sort of looking for Benedict to do this year that can really change the level of prospect you view him as and what his role might be at the next level? Well, I'm hoping to see some like some more passing and maybe some more free throw drawing if he wants to take a step up like as a prospect. I think he's already like he has a role defined. So there's not like a ton more that you really like want to see from him at the level he's at. You know, he shot, you know, 42% from three in college, which is just kind of ridiculous and had a 62.5% true shooting, which is absurd. Um, But like, if he could get to the line more, you know, as a creator and maybe show a bit more passing ability, that's kind of the only two things you can really harp on maybe for his defense to clean up a little bit, but you know, for what he's projected as right now, he's he's shown everything you want him to show. Yeah. I think for me, what I'm hoping for is, is even if it's not the passing, just he, he clearly has like a solid handle and some deceptiveness to it, but he hasn't really been forced to use that a lot. I want to see if he can combine that with his athleticism, really explode out of moves to get to the rim, create space. Um, In my piece I wrote about him for roll call last year, I I compared him to like Clay Thompson in terms of what his role might be. And there's clearly some more, it's different, right? Because Clay's on-ball usage has always been mostly outside of spot-ups, has been post-ups, and that's not what what Ben is going to do. But I thought there was some, like, clearly like his archetype being mostly as an off-ball player. But if he can really sort of stretch that ISO, ISO scoring package, I think there maybe is that sort of next gear of prospect in there. Um, and, and that's not even talked about what the defense could be. Yeah. Uh, I actually, right on what you're saying right there, I kind of agree. Like We know he's going to be a really good off-ball prospect, right? But he only had 23 possessions where he ran the pick and roll last year. And I would like to see him maybe even fail in that spot, right? but just get the reps and see if he can build that out and just explore what he is there. Because I thought he attacked the rim actually really well from an off ball spot, but it would be interesting to see if he can make that next jump as a prospect on ball. And I mean, there's a chance he can't, but it would be nice to try it and push it to failure here at this level. Right. And then have a little bit better of an idea of what he is as a prospect by the time the draft comes around next year. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think, and I think there's a lot of opportunity to do that with Arizona specifically. Uh, there's not a ton of other guys you look at like this is where the on-ball usage is going. Maybe a, a Dale and Terry, or uh, I'm a big Kirk Creesa fan, but even Creesa is mostly sort of an off-ball shooting point guard, kind of plays a lot like Tyrell Terry. Um, but Stone, before we move on from Mathurin, I want to ask you, 
Um, what are your general thoughts? And then more specifically, like, how do you feel about him defensively as a prospect? Because I found that side of the ball actually really interesting for Matherin. He had his moments. He's super athletic. He's really lengthy. I don't know the exact wingspan measurement, but I would guess he's 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 at least plus two. He's got long arms. Uh, what did what do you see from him there? What are you hoping to see from him this year as a prospect? Yeah, <clears throat> so my general thoughts on Matt Thurn is I am uh, a big fan of Benedict. I, last year, I think I had him top 10 before he pulled out, and this year he could very well end up in the top five. Um, he I put up a poll today on Twitter, like, who's the better shooter, like, if you include the versatility aspect of it between him and, and Caleb Houston. And most people said Caleb Houston, I think, like, 70%. But I actually disagree because – Mather and offensively shooting wise, it's an extremely versatile shooter. The way he gets his shots off, like um, he needs very, very little space to be able to get a shot off. And he's like one of the more underrated tough shot makers, I think, in this class. Um, he's defensively, I really like what he brings. Um, I mean, he obviously has like the ideal frame as a wing defender, which Bryce is all over that, I'm sure. Um, but he's also super athletic. Um, I think he's very mobile in terms of like lateral movement. So I'm, I'm pretty big fan of what he can do both on and off ball defensively. Um, and then offensively, again, I think he's for as good of like a, uh, off ball player he is on ball. I think he's pretty patient too. Like he doesn't really force a lot, which I really like about him. That's why I'm kind of with CJ where I want to see more of it. Uh, this year um, and hopefully an increased like uh, uh, improvement upon his ball handling. I think it's adequate right now. And actually a lot of these guys, I feel like it's, their ball handling is like at, at an adequate level, but I'd like to see more of it um, and at a higher level and more increased volume of it. So that's sort of what I'm hoping to see for him uh, this season in Arizona. Uh, if he could just tighten up his handle a little bit Um and then, like, he's a pretty good finisher. He's got really good body control and stuff like that. Um, In-air contortion is really um, high level, I think, and underrated with him. So there's a lot to like with Matherin. I could go on and on, honestly, but uh, I know we have a lot of other names to get to, so I'll stop there. Yeah, no, that's fair. And I and before we get out of here, you know, uh, Coop and CJ both sort of have kind of mentioned their rankings. I haven't done, like, a ranking yet, but I will say I'd be shocked if Matherin falls out of my lottery because he was a lottery prospect for me last year in a draft that I thought was much um, <clears throat> had talent at the top that I trusted more than I'm going to trust the talent at the top of this year's draft. Um, I just like, I know what Matherin brings and it's sort of only up from here uh, though. I, I do think there is some reason to, to think the shooting is was maybe a bit aberrational to be at the level it was at. He wasn't, seen as that type of shooter coming out of high school but uh i mean he shot a lot and he shot comfortably like he is a very good shooter he's a very good off-ball player in general um so there's a lot to like with matherin uh we're gonna move on to um iowa's keegan murray um and this is not a guy who uh has got a ton of run at the top of um say you know top returner boards thus far but CJ is the first person who got me on to, to Keegan as like a really interesting guy. Um, and I'd seen him, you know, scouting with Garza and Joe Wieskamp. But when I, when I finally dug in and, and sort of watched him, I, I saw what CJ saw and I was very impressed. So CJ, I'm going to throw it to you, my friend, just give us the Keegan Murray breakdown. 
Yeah, absolutely. So like you said, I, I've been banging the drum for Keegan a little bit, especially in the last cycle. There's a lot to like, and I think he's going to show a little bit more in a more defined, maybe more volume of a role at Iowa this year. The only really downside of him as a prospect profile is he's old for his class, right? He did a prep year before going to college. So he is the age of most juniors while he's a sophomore. So that's the downside. But that being said, he averaged 4.7 stocks per 40 minutes a game. Really, really impacts the game on the defensive level at an impactful spot on the wing. Um, not a great shooter, but I have confidence that he'll at least get the passable. And kind of the opposite of what we were talking about with Matherin, that we want to see Matherin like do a little bit more, see if there's anything more there. I don't necessarily think that Keegan has some like next level to unlock, but I think that he checks off boxes to be an absolutely top-notch um, off-ball role player kind of guy. And on top of that, he had a, a BPM as a freshman of 8.3, which is is a nuts number for a guy that was not a heralded freshman coming in, um, at least as a like top, top guy. So this year for me is going to be all about Keegan continuing to do what he did last year and building upon that in a bigger role and with more minutes. I mostly want to see it more to buy all the way in, but he's a guy I wouldn't have minded pre-drafting last year. Yeah. Um, I <laughs> Keegan is, is someone who is built for Coop and I to just like a lot. Um, Coop and I have a very similar philosophy in terms of uh, what we look for in our wings, um, aside from maybe the size of their biceps, but that's a story for another day. Um, we like guys who just create havoc on defense, and that is Keegan. I mean, he was Iowa's only good defender last year. Um, you know, Luca Garza is actually kind of a fine college defender because he's just big, and sometimes you can get away with that in college. But uh, I think Keegan could really be uh, make a case for best wing defender in this upcoming class. Uh, and, um, I want to say it was, um, it was Dom, uh, Dom Sangami. I hope I'm saying that right. Who posted it, but like, um, the, like the, the, 29% from three number can be a bit misleading. If you look at the corner three number, it was closer to 36%. Um, I, I want to say that was him that posted that. I hope I'm not messing that up, but uh, I actually think the shot looks good. Um, not like, you know, incredible, but it, it, it's hard for me to say, like, I don't think he can make open shots at the next level. Um, he shot 75% from the free throw line. Uh, so Coop, like, have you seen a lot of Keegan Murray and, and how are you feeling about him? Do you see him as similarly underrated as CJ and I do? I do. I I'm a really big fan of his, the, the defense really impressed me. Um, I didn't watch a lot of Iowa last year. Um, but like just watching them specifically, but like he really stood out on like really just watching him and his off ball instincts defensively. Uh, I thought his form looks solid, but like a bit mechanical. Uh, I think that's the kind of thing that can be fixed with repetition. Um, but my, the way that I kind of saw him is he's like, if you did a 2K my player with the mostly red, a little bit of green pie chart, uh, because that's basically all, like, that's all it's, he's a great defender and can do a little bit of shooting and you're not going to ask him to do much else, but 
like he can really fit that role at the next level, I think, uh, especially if he gets on a, on a smart team where he can, you know, play next to a, he's not asked to cover up for another guy's, you know, defensive weaknesses, like a five who can't rim protect. If he's asked to like, just sort of compliment another decent defensive five, I think he'll be, uh, he could be a really impactful defender at the next level. I actually, I disagree. I think his pie chart has a bit more blue than you're giving him credit for, because I actually think he's a decent finisher. Um, he's very strong. He's he's well built, um, and he's pretty bouncy. So between those two things, like when he puts those things together, you see the flashes of um, finishing wise. And it's not the most versatile finish finishing package, I guess you could say. But um, I, I think he's strong enough to be able to finish against a lot of opposing fours and fives. Uh, in the NBA. Um, I think when it comes to shooting, to me, it seems more of like a comfortability thing more than anything. Like he seems hesitant to let it fly at times. And I think he just has to get more confident in his shot and just be able to not hesitate as much when he gets the ball to shoot it. Like on some open threes, like you see him wait like a couple seconds and then shoot. I think if he just doesn't think about it and gets the ball and lets it fly a little bit more, um, we can see that that misleading three-point percentage bump up a little bit. Um, but yeah, overall, I'm a decent, I'm decently high on Keegan Murray. Maybe not quite as high as you two uh, or three even, but um, I, I think he's a pretty easy first rounder in this class. So um, I, I think he's in for actually a pretty big season at Iowa. Yeah, I really hope so. Um, Iowa's not, you know, they lost a lot of talent. I'll be interested to see um, how Fran McCaffrey sort of pivots that team. Uh, but, you know, I hope Keegan isn't sort of overused and and kind of loses his luster as a prospect. But uh, with that said, like, we're going to start going a little faster or else we're going to be here all night. Um, so we're going to kind of cut down a little bit of, of who everyone's talking about, but uh, another of CJ's guys uh, who I want to say Grib was the first person I saw like really uh, posting about trying to get people into Jabari Walker of Colorado. Um, uh, he is really interesting. Another, uh, just again, I mean, this first section of guys we're going to talk about all wings, all guys I'm super interested in for that reason. Uh, CJ, do you want to give us a Jabari Walker breakdown? You know I do. Um, I don't want to step on Grib's toes because I I know that he loves him. And I I don't know necessarily who – I'm sure he was on him first. I'm not going to take credit for that. But I don't know how many people are higher on Jabari than I am. Um, he's actually my top returner. I have him a, a couple spots above Ben. And he's kind of this supercharged version of everything we just talked about with Keegan. I love Jabari. And everybody that follows me kind of knows that my thought process and philosophy goes a lot around youth and production. And he is, in my opinion, from both ends of the floor, the most productive returning freshman. He had a monster 8.4 BPM, 2% uh, steal percentage, 3.7 block percentage, shot an ungodly 52% from three. And nobody thinks Jabari Walker is a a 52% three-point shooter but I think it gives you a lot of confidence that he could be a good shooter. And he has a massive frame, really, really disruptive defender. And I think he has a little bit more to his offensive game than Keegan does too. So it's the same kind of um, player type that I like and that I know you and Coop like, 
but I think Jabari is the supercharged, productive, two-way version of Keegan Murray. Yeah, uh, Jabari is just, like, insanely interesting, um, endlessly interesting. I mean, I'm just... I really worry mostly about the Colorado context he finds himself in. It's just, it's just a weird one after losing McKinley, Wright. Um, he's playing next to Evan Batty. Uh, I have some hope for their incoming class of recruits, but it's just, we'll see how it goes. But like Jabari Walker's talent is off the charts. Um, the athleticism combined with like, like he did shoot 50% from three and it looks good. He didn't just let it fly. Like he wasn't really given that, that rain. But um, if, if he is, like, he's just – he's so interesting. He's a Pac-12 guy. So of course, I'm interested. Um, I, I think Jabari Walker could really shoot up to lottery level on a lot of people's boards this year um, if he's sort of given the free reign to be the guy on Colorado. There's no one really in his way right now. Um, he, he does a lot of things well. He's flashed moments as a straight-line driver. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not 100% there, like, on him as a – like a passer or anything, but in sort of that Jaden McDaniels, Patrick Williams, like, like uh secondary rim protecting four who shoots, who, who can get downhill. Like there's a lot of things like I can really see that with Jabari Walker. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah I mean, he, he didn't really even pass much his freshman year at all. He was more used as a play finisher on the offensive end than a play starter. I'd like to see him get some run there. Cause I believe in his potential. I really wish he made the U19 team because I thought he would have been a really, not that they needed any more talent, but I think he would have been a really good fit just as a guy to fill in with stars. I think that's probably his ideal role, but I do think he's going to get more on-ball responsibility as a sophomore. And I would love to see if the lack of passing was a little bit more because of how much McKinley Wright had the ball in his hands and a little less because Jabari couldn't do it. If he starts having, if he starts flashing passing chops, I'm going to be ungodly high on him, um, higher than I already am. Yeah, well, there's definitely, I mean, that's something that happens with a lot of these dudes who are like really solid court mappers on defense. They just sort of become good, like at least fine passers, like Jaden McDaniels, fine passer. Patrick Williams, actually really solid passer. Uh, The only guy that hasn't happened for is like Robert Covington is still a god-awful passer. I don't know how, but, you know, for the most part, guys who kind of fill this role we're seeing for Jabari, um, are at least average passers because when you see the court that well, sort of the next thing is just like actually figuring out how to make those passes. And that's sort of the easier step rather than learning to see the court that way. Um, we're going to move on to uh, a lot of people's top returners, uh, top returner, excuse me, uh, someone who's really, really interesting. Um, Texas Tech's Terrence Shannon Jr. Uh, Cooper, I'm going to throw that to you first. You want to give us sort of the TSJ breakdown. Uh, So Terrence Shannon was somebody who I was really high on last year, Uh, kind of fell in love with the defense and some of the tough shot making. Uh, I went back and watched, you know, a lot more of the film than, you know, I kind of watched Shannon at the beginning of of last season and not as much towards the end once he like dropped out and stuff. And he uh, was a lot less impressive on a, on a rewatch uh, I really fell in love with his size at six, 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 seven, someone who doesn't have a lot of weaknesses, uh, you know, but isn't really like good at anything uh, other than like maybe some tough shot making. I think that a lot of the defense was, you know, he played for Chris Beard. Um, 
And I'm, I'm intrigued to see how this season goes, especially without McClung there. And with a new coach, it'll be interesting to see how the defense uh, stands up. But, uh, you know, there's just a lot of guys who actually have NBA skills, you know, that you can see who I'd rather bet on. But uh, it'll be really interesting to see how he does this upcoming year. Yeah. Uh, Stone, you're also a big Terrence Shannon Jr. guy. So if you want to let us know. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> with Terrence Shannon Jr., I think for me, I mean, I think for most people, it's the defense that's what's going to pop out. Uh, and for me, I kind of see what is leading to him being such a good defender or projected to be at least moving forward. And I think the athleticism is sort of the main selling point within that. Um, I think he's really, uh, he's super athletic. He's really strong. Um, and I think that is what translates as well to offensively, like being a good cutter and things like that. Um, he's not a great shooter. But like mechanically, there's nothing really wrong with it to me, apart from like maybe a slightly low release. Um, so maybe that can get fixed and tweaked a little bit this season. Um, he's in transition. I think he's going to be a beast. Uh, I think he was last year, too. Um, he like I said, in the open court, he's got great straight lane speed uh, and pretty much all aspects of athleticism. When you think of that, that word or that term he sort of uh, has every part of every aspect of that word. So um, I'm really intrigued to see sort of how he puts that to use even more so this year in terms of basketball skill. Um, that's sort of what I'm going to be looking for, especially offensively. Um, like I said, defensively, I think he's pretty much already there as a, as a prospect. So um, hopefully at Texas Tech, he has maybe a bit of an increased role he's sort of forced to shoot a little bit more because more reps can can do him well, I think. So well, I'm interested to see how it goes this year with him. Yeah, I think I think my worry with TSJ a little bit is just that um he's still skinny and I don't and I don't think he's one who's gonna be able to guard up bigger wings and forwards right now. Um, and that sort of worries me when drafting a defensive specialist. But if the offense develops and there's been moments of him as a passer and as a uh, sort of secondary ball handler that are really interesting and uh, taking Mac McClung out of this, out of the context, I think will do wonders for him uh, and, and giving him, you know, uh, just, just some more to work with. Um, but CJ and stone are both uh, going to talk about, Someone who I find really interesting, uh, who I think I was a little lower on, but could very well be a, a contender for National Player of the Year this year, and that's Julian Champagny. Um, Stone, I'm going to throw that to you first if you want to give us sort of your uh, your Champagny breakdown. Yeah, um, I was late to the Champagny train last draft cycle. Uh, I know CT and um, Buttermilk Jesus were the uh, who really got me in on him. Um, and he is just really interesting to me because of the versatility in which he scores at his size. Um, being like a six, eight, six, nine guy, he has a pretty good first step for his size. Um, he can shoot off the dribble really well too and create for himself within the half court, which I don't think a lot of guys, his size are really, um, it's not something you see a ton of. Um, he can score from all three levels, I think too. So that's pretty nice to have coming into the NBA um, when you're able to pretty much score from anywhere on the court. That's really um, something that I think is going to be quickly translatable to the next level. Um, you can make shots at a pretty high degree of difficulty too, like 
not all of his shots are just him creating a lot of space and making wide open shots. Um, he can be pretty heavily contested and it doesn't really affect him or, or closeouts and things of that nature. Um, he's got pretty good straight line speed for his size as well. Uh, good pull-up shooter, pretty much everything offensively he's got. Defensively is more where the questions and concerns lay, I think, with him, um, which is sort of ironically where his, his brother is strongest at. Um, but I think if he can sort of use his fluidity offensively uh, and translate that to defensively where he's able to stay with guys on the perimeter um, and then sort of use his bigger body to maybe put uh, guard like opposing fours that are posting up and things like that. Um, he can, he has the tools to be a versatile defender. It, it's just more of a matter of if he's able to put those tools to use, I think. Yeah. CJ, uh, do you want to give your um, Champagne thought? Yeah, I like Champagne. I think I am. I think I like him for a little bit different reasons than Stone does. I'm less bullish on some of his on-ball traits that he definitely shows at St. John's uh, translating to the NBA. I, I think a lot of that has to do with level of competition and uh, not that Stone would disagree with that, but I, I think that as he gets whittled down to an NBA player, it's going to be strictly as a play finisher. I don't think he'll be doing much creating. That being said, a lot of what Stone touched on with his difficult shot making and his ability to attack closeouts and stuff like that, that, that um, ability to put the ball on the floor makes him a really dangerous option off the ball. And I like him in that role as a smallish ball four that can also defend up. Um, I like high stock rates. I know that the trendy thing right now is that stocks don't really equate perfectly to great defense, which is, of course, true. But at the college level, I like guys to be active. And I would rather have a guy like Champigny that has a high stock rate and try to rein him in and teach him the principles of defense than a guy that doesn't necessarily have those instincts and you have to teach the aggression. So I, I don't mind his defensive film. I actually am encouraged by it. I think a little bit of structure around him and talent around him um, would help him more on the defensive end than the offensive end. And I think on the offensive end, he slides into that fourth, fifth usage option on a floor in an NBA offense quite well. And I would have taken him over a decent amount of the trendy late first fours this year. He, he would have been a first round pick if he had stayed in for me this year. Yeah. I, and I think that's fair. Um, Champagne's just really interesting. Um, he's, he's sort of, I feel like the, the next heir apparent to get, um, to get the, the Chris Middleton comps this year uh, that you see every year. Um, but I, I like Champagne as a, as a play finishing shooter. Um, for me, it's going to depend on uh, the sort of what thresholds he hits as a shooter this year and, and how he does look defensively. Um, Cause I I'm, I'm with CJ where I don't really buy any um, like playmaking equity, really maybe some attacking closeout type things, but um, someone who I do buy some playmaking equity with and, and who I've really struggled to get a full handle on, but I'm really interested to see, um, what what CJ's thoughts are is Jordan Hall. Um, this is a guy who I didn't really watch any of last year. I feel like wasn't really considered a, a 2021 prospect at all, unlike some of the guys we talked about above. Um, but kind of steps into this year as someone with 
real upside to to sort of change how we view him as a prospect. So CJ, I'm going to throw it to you to sort of give your thoughts on Hall and then I'll kind of step in and, and finish it out. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm a St. Joe guy. So I've seen a ton of Jordan Hall. Um, my girlfriend graduated from St. Joe. That, that's where I grew up watching basketball. So I think he, it's absolutely easy to see the intrigue, right? He's six foot eight. He dribbles like a point guard. He throws phenomenal passes. He led all freshmen, regardless of height, in assist rate or assist percentage and uh, um, minutes adjusted assists in all of college. Like, he can pass the ball. The issue is, uh, and a little bit of, his, of it is physical, is he, he doesn't really create the advantages to make the passing dangerous. The ball handling is great, and he's awesome at converting that into assists in transition. And he can hit schemed passes from fun angles better than almost anyone else in college basketball. But he doesn't get downhill very well. He picks up his dribble after one or two dribbles whenever he feels contact. And a lot of that is he doesn't have great strength, balance, or quickness yet. And he's a freshman, and he's a freshman at an A-10 school. And I expect him to put some serious work in on his body over the offseason, come back with a full understanding of the system, and really change the narrative a little bit. I'm high on Jordan Hall. I think that he is a guy that can make something like that happen. But he has all the basketball talent, and, and you can't teach that vision. You can't teach the ball handling, and you can't teach it all together at 6'8". What you can do is even him out a little bit. He got taken advantage of in the post a little bit, and I think strength, particularly lower body and core strength, would really help him there. And I have a pop quiz for you guys. I don't know if you have stats in front of you, but if you do, don't look. Jordan Hall is six foot eight. How many blocks did he have last year? Oh, I feel like I I saw this. Um, Thirty. Close. I'm guessing. I have no idea. Oh man, I'm gonna pull this up on my computer before I say it because I want to make sure I'm not wrong. That would be embarrassing, right? <laughs> I, I'm gonna say. I'm just gonna say really quickly. I I think like 36 is where I'm gonna go. Nope, I I, I was right. All right, Jordan Hall, six foot eight. Played 637 minutes last year. He had one block. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and Damn. it's because he was, especially in the post, physically overmatched, right? So if he goes back this summer and he really works on his body and he brings his body up to match the basketball talent, he's an NBA guy. He's six foot eight that can do all these things. He just needs to. He, he's got the God-given stuff. You know, he, he needs to work on the uh, stuff that he can control, come back ready and in it, – it's not even just physical strength, but, like, balance, quickness. If he can bring that stuff up to par, sky's the limit for him. That's like uh, Evan Fournier block numbers. Like, I think uh, I think he had a, two seasons where within those two seasons, he got, like, two blocks. It was pretty insane stuff, but that, that's a pretty wild stat. Yeah, man. Uh, Coop and I, I think, let our love for stock numbers get the best of us there, and, and we're when we're hopeful. Uh, I haven't seen much of Jordan Hall on defense, so uh, I'll, I'll admit that uh, I didn't watch him much last year, and I sort of just kind of watched him in preparation for this. But um, I find him really fascinating. Um, he is probably the person we've talked about most so far who can uh, really change like their their outlook as a 
prospect in terms of what their role is in the NBA. Um, I feel like, you know, Benedict, we sort of know we can maybe have some more on ball stuff. Keegan Jabari, like those, like most of the guys we talked about so far, we have like, like the outline for what they will look like as NBA players, uh, no matter really what they do this year. It's just about how good they can be in that role. Uh, Jordan Hall is the one where I'm just the most like, is he sort of a point guard at the next? Is he like a six eight Jason Preston as a prospect? Is that sort of his outlook? Which is, I mean, that's a prospect I'll I'll buy into. Um, you know, I I think the quickness is a huge disadvantage for him right now. He just he is he really struggles to get by a guy even with a screen. Um, he was susceptible to hedges like a lot, and it was pretty easy to to kind of get the ball out of his hands. Um, but he clearly sees the floor in a pretty special way. Um, I would say better than anyone will talk about in this whole, even if this is two parts in this whole two part pod, he is the best passer court mapper we'll talk about. So absolutely. And I know we have to move on, but just the, the last little point, cause you said it and it reminded me, um, the, the being able to get by people thing that you said, the quickness is a big issue and it absolutely is. And I don't want this to sound like I'm knocking on Jordan hall. It's more like criticism because I love him right I think he has ceilings that match any one of these guys on this list and I want to see him get there but there was there was a, a pretty decent stretch in the last game they played against Richmond last year that Richmond guarded him with six foot 160 pound freshman Isaiah Wilson and he, he couldn't take him in the post you know like the it's so much harder for him to get by guys because coaches can put smaller guys on him without fear of him bullying them, right? He's not going to be burning six, two guys off the dribble. He's six foot eight. He's got the ball in his hands. That's not to be expected, but you need to be able to punish those smaller guys so that they have to guard you with a big guy. So then you have the matchup, right? It's kind of like the, the football thing. Like you have to run the game, run the ball. So they respect the play action or whatever. I, I don't follow a lot of football, but you, he needs to be able to punish people in the post first. And just with his strength on drives first so that they need to get bigger guys on him. So then he has the mismatch. Exactly. There has to be a point where that size is an advantage to him. Um, but yeah, I haven't watched much Jordan Hall, so I'm excited to actually watch a lot more of him this season. Yeah, me too. Uh, I liked the little bits I saw watching for this pod, but um, definitely haven't done anything too in depth. Uh, I think the last thing I'll say with Hall is it's just, he really does have to sort of develop either that scoring or that defense because the list of guys who have made it in the NBA, even with the level of feel and, and court mapping Hall has, with only that, even with size, it's it's a pretty short list. And honestly, I can't even think of one off the top of my head. Uh, even someone like a Ricky Rubio, awesome defensive player in his prime. Um, it's just hard if you're not, you know, being a passer is not the same as being a playmaker and you have to sort of, develop that but I, I he's six eight like there's more upside with that than with someone like say a Dyson Knicks you know uh so I'm really excited to see Jordan Hall uh Stone we're gonna throw this to you to talk about Arizona State's Marcus Bagley um this might be the quickest of all the guys you've talked about so far yeah first you hit me with the Knicks slander now you're gonna make me talk about Marcus Bagley uh, I don't know what I did to deserve this, but he might be the most boring player we've talked about on this podcast to date. Um, he is a really good shooter, um, especially off relocation. Um, I feel like that's probably his strongest suit in terms of his shooting. 
Um, he uses his size pretty well against smaller defenders. He likes to take advantage of that, advantage of that whether it be finishing-wise or posting up sort of in the mid-range. Um, when he has a smaller defender, he at least has the awareness to sort of um, punish them in that regard. Uh, maybe Jordan Hall should watch some Marcus Bagley tape. That would be uh, maybe something you could look at. Um, and then the handle to me is good enough for what he is, but I feel like some of that's going to get negated at the NBA level. Um, so I, I would like to see more. Um, I, I would like to see him go up against guys that are better defenders and that he's able to get downhill with that handle a little bit more. Um, that's sort of what I'm looking at for him to improve upon this season. Uh, but I'll leave the the defensive stuff and any other offensive stuff to CJ if he has any thoughts. Yeah, I mean, not a, a ton that you didn't already say. I, I will say he we didn't get much of a sample with Bagley and Arizona was a, Arizona State was a mess even when he was on the floor. So I don't think I have a great feel for what he is as a defender yet because his team context was confusing, right? I, I feel like he didn't get good film. Um, he didn't get good defensive film when he was on the floor, but I don't necessarily blame him as a freshman in a weird context. I'm happy he went back because I need more information there. Um, fun fact for you before we move on, 68% of his field goal attempts were from three. Um, eight attempts for 40. He just fires them up there. And when you're six, eight and can shoot like he can stretch for, you know, I'm, I'm interested. I need more film though. I wouldn't have drafted him very highly last year, just as a, uh, like TBD need more info. Yeah. Uh, and I think the, the worry with Bagley is that he's an elite athlete who didn't like do any elite athlete things, uh, his freshman year at ASU. Um, you know, like his, his billing coming out of high school was like a smaller Marvin who could shoot. Um, and he was not, I mean, he, I don't know what the dunk numbers were, but I would imagine they were super low. Uh, and, and Arizona state was a mess. It's still gonna be a mess. Bobby Hurley is maybe the worst, uh, power five coach in the nation right now. Uh, and it's hard for me to, to think that it's particularly close. He, he should not be a, a head coach right now. Um, so we'll see, we'll see how, how things go with him, but uh, I'll be interested to see if, if just he can, can he handle the ball and like get downhill at all? I think that's the big one. You want to see him do something with that athleticism, uh, but he does shoot and he shoots a lot and he shoots off movement. Um, so we're going to move on to someone who, uh, I don't think is divisive in, in, in this group of four, but is someone who I would call divisive in general. Um, and that's Matthew Meyer of Baylor. Uh, Meyer, interesting shooter with guard skills, six, nine, of course, played in, in, on the national champion Baylor team. Uh, Coop, I'm going to throw this to you first. Um, what do you think of Matthew Meyer? Who, who is Matthew Meyer first and foremost? And, and how do you view him as a prospect? Well, he's, you know, he's a, a six foot nine, interesting kind of do it all ish role playing forward. Uh, people were really intrigued by his almost 40% from three last year. And just that he was kind of scrappy. Uh, and, you know, people love scrappy white guys uh, who are sneaky athletes. Uh, he had pretty high steals numbers for like his 16 minutes a game. Uh, but he was also surrounded by a lot of like really great defensive talent that allowed him to gamble and shoot passing lanes like that. 
uh, that Baylor context will will make anyone look like a good defender um, when you're surrounded by great bigs and guards. Um, the The thing that really scares me is his free throw percentage of 59. Uh, it was on only 1.6 a game, so it's definitely small sample size, but almost everything he did could be considered small sample size because he played so few minutes per game. Uh, and I'm just not exactly sure what he does in the NBA. Uh, I'm really intrigued to watch him this year, if he can really step up into the power vacuum that's kind of left on Baylor by all three of their guards and Mark Vidal leaving. Then I'll be a lot more intrigued if he can like really show something else in his game. But I don't really know exactly what there is other than the shot. And even that's kind of scary. And he's like 22. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm just going to come out and say it. I, I still just don't see it with Meyer. I didn't really see it with Meyer last year. Um, I think he's really, really stiff and he doesn't. Um, I think the shot is fine. I think that 59% is, is bad, but I think the more worrying number is how low the volume was. Um he, he doesn't get to the line much. He doesn't get to the rim basically at all. Um, you know, he had some some wide open dunks that were fine, but he's not like an elite athlete by any means. Um, he's not putting a ton of pressure on the rim. He's a solid passer and a solid ball handler at his size, but uh, I don't know if he has the tools to take advantage of it. Um, I, I'd be happy to hear Stone or CJ sort of uh, tell me why you guys are in on him if you are. Um, but I, I'm Matthew Meyer is someone who I'm, really struggling to see as like a draftable player right now. I, I wouldn't per se, I wouldn't say that I'm out on him necessarily because I'm really trying to go into this season with an open mind about Matthew Meyer. Um, and that's not to say that I don't do that by every returner because I think there's something to build upon each year for every prospect, um, you know, and it's, it's difficult to watch him with his haircut, but I think that um, if he, if he, um, can really he's going to be forced I think to to be on more volume this year in terms of the shooting so that's what I'm really interested in seeing is how he adapts to that if that if that shooting sticks at a higher volume and he um can get that free throw percentage up to like 75 then I'm in, I'm fairly interested in Meyer as a draftable player um I think that he defensively a lot of what he gets hyped for is uh, overblown a bit. Um, I think like uh, Cooper said, a, a lot of it is to do with sort of the offensive system that he's in. It makes him look a little better than he actually is. It can be a little misleading in terms of the the metrics and things on him. Um, but he's not a bad defender. I, I think he's still a decent defender, um, uh, both on and off ball, actually. Um, I think he's an okay ball handler, but again, a lot of that probably gets negated in the NBA. Like I don't think it's good enough to really be any sort of strength for him, for him moving forward. Um, he's a pretty good cutter. Like he's good at recognizing where the ball handlers on his team are and knowing sort of um, how to take advantage of that. If the, um, the off ball player that's on him isn't, isn't necessarily engaged. So there's some things to like about Meyer and I'm really excited to see what he can do in larger volume this season uh, because I think he'll be, he'll have a lot more usage. So I'm trying to go in with an open mind, but I'm 
wasn't very high on him last season, so hopefully he can improve my my uh, idea of him. Yeah, I'll go quick. I don't have a ton to add, and I don't want to come out too high and get bullied off of this podcast. But um, I think it's a Mike Grib line, and if it's not Mike, then I apologize for misquoting him. But somebody online that I follow says often that the elite of the elite college basketball teams, the national champions, the Gonzagas, they always have one or two more NBA guys than you think. And I, I think uh, Macy Oteague is a pretty decent example of that, where he he's probably an NBA guy, you know, and he didn't necessarily pop as a star in college. Not to say that uh, Meyer is also that, but I, I think Stone hit the nail on the head when he said he, he's actually a, a decent defender, both on and off the ball, even if he, it looks a little awkward at times. Um, I think he's better than his rep accounts for there. And I'm not high on him in any kind of first round kind of way but I wouldn't be like blown out of the water shocked if he was an NBA guy I do think there's something there um but like a top 60 top 80 kind of something not not anything we need to spend any more time on yeah I'm with you I would say at best I like him about as much as I like DJ Stewart who I who I kind of liked a lot but like you know it is what it is um I'm gonna talk really quickly about a guy I still really believe in, which is Ron Harper Jr. Um, Ron Harper Jr. is just really kind of interesting, really weird. He is a big body at 6'6". Um, he has shot pretty well. Um, defense looks sort of iffy, but he has moments as a rim protector because he's a really solid vertical athlete off too. Um, not like someone who started the year as a prospect and sort of fell off as Rutgers fell off. He dealt with some injuries. Um, but I still really believe in Ron Harper Jr. I think he's someone who um, has some real upside to be a role-playing, rim-protecting four with some shooting, some on-ball skill. Um, I think he's someone who's gotten underrated, um, and it's tough to get a gauge on him. Like, he does look out of shape sometimes. He sort of has that Amari Spellman issue where it's like he's this queerly, like, incredible athlete, but it's like he's not to the level he should be because he just looks too big. Um, but he shoots really well. He has moments as a passer, mostly going to be a play finisher. But um, in sort of that 60 to 80 range is where I would have a guy like Ron Harper Jr. But I, I think he's someone who um, has a real path to the league. Uh, so then in, 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 the, in the same breadth of brevity, uh, Coop, do you want to give us a quick little rundown on Johnny Juzang? Yeah, Juzang uh, at UCLA really impressed in the tournament last year. Obviously got uh, UCLA to the Final Four, where they probably should have beaten Gonzaga. But uh, he's a ridiculous tough shot maker. Uh, I thought he probably should have come out. I don't know what else he could do this year to raise his stock. I think the team context will be better. So maybe he'll be able to show off his passing or defense or show some improvements in those areas. Uh, but without improvement there, I don't think he's anything more than draftable in like the Jordan Nora vein where you draft him and hope he can scale back some of that stuff and be like, well, or you can come off the bench, you know, when, you know, half our guys are hurt or sitting and, you know, maybe you can actually give us an offense for a little bit. Like, I don't know if he's like a true, NBA rotation guy without any more uh, like skills added onto his scoring. 
I also sneaky like I I don't think Johnny Juzang is really quite the shooter he's gotten the rep like uh, the reputation yeah. as like he is a very aesthetically pleasing shooter um, but uh, I That's I'm not, not his free throw indicators are nice eighty seven percent on relatively low volume but yeah I I don't think he's like a score an earth uh, a basket scorcher or anything no yeah I'm with you I'm just like like I don't think he's the type of guy who I would project into say like a Duncan Robinson role you oh, know like obviously no. not to that level it's no like yeah. Duncan Robinson I'll be the first to say is probably a top five shooter in NBA history at this point um like obviously not to that level but even like a Wayne Ellington like I I feel like that's sometimes we can just see shooters and then project like well, at the very least they're Wayne Ellington or but I don't know if I quite see that. But uh, I'm going to throw it to Stone to talk about uh, one of our favorites, someone who is just consistently like every time I watch him, I'm like, I want to put this guy higher on my board. And that's Jaime Hawkins Jr., also from UCLA. So Stone, take it away. Yeah, I uh, long time Jaime Hawkins fan. Um, I think he's somebody that like a lot of teams would like to have. Um, and not necessarily that he's going to play any sort of big role or minutes, but just sort of that do-it-all glue guy, um, like maybe a Matthew Meyer, but better in different things, I guess, um, where he's sort of the uh, sort of the Bruce Brown fabric in terms of being like an undersized big almost, where he, does, he has a lot of like big man attributes, but he's like six foot four. So um he's a really skilled rebounder. He gets in there. He's gritty. Um, he's one of the probably like biggest hustle guys, um, in the NBA or in the, uh, NCAA. He's constantly like, just got a nose for the ball. Um, he's a lot of fun to watch, honestly. Uh, I love watching film on, on Jaime. Uh, I think this year with UCLA, it'll be interesting to see how his stock either upgrades or, or downgrades in comparison to last year. Because I feel like last year he had a stock that was good enough to sort of stay in and have a shot at getting drafted near the near the end of the draft. Um, and I'm not sure now with Peyton Watson in and and um, Johnny Juzang staying in if his stock is going to get any higher than it was last season. So I'm pretty interested to see where that's going to go. Um, but yeah, there, there's a lot to like with with Jaime. I think he's a really good passer as well. And to a point, sometimes I think he becomes like too passive offensively um, and doesn't really look for his own shot enough, which is not something you say about a lot of guys. Um, but yeah, he, he's a blast to watch. I'm really high on him in terms of being a draftable guy at least. So, uh, but yeah, uh, if um, you want to give more thoughts on him, Bryce, go ahead. I don't have a ton to add. Uh, I'm just going to say like, we talked about Johnny and Jaime in our first ever pod because we thought it was a good idea to, Instead of talking about like the top guys in the draft, people would really want to hear our thoughts on Johnny Juzang and Jaime Hawkes. And I don't even remember. I don't even remember who else we talked about a bunch like and we, like Buddy Beheim. I think we talked about who we're not even talking about here. Buddy Beheim also uh, he shoots. He shoots. Um, yeah, I like Jaime Hawkes as just another of those sort of bets at a rim protecting four glue guy. I think the shot looks fine. I wish he took it more. Um, but yeah, I like Hawkes. Um, a guy, the last guy we're going to talk about in this group of wings, um, is Christian Braun from Kansas. Uh, Braun is 
a really interesting uh, shooter with a really interesting statistical profile. So, CJ, I'm going to throw it to you to kind of break down Christian Braun. Yeah, and you mentioned the statistical profile, and I think a lot of the reason I'm mildly in on Braun is because of that. He pops up in a lot of um, a lot of my own stuff that I work on, and he's got a really good advanced stat profile. Um, six foot six, and he's kind of he's going to go into this season underhyped because he only ended up shooting, I think it was like 34% from three last year, but he takes a pretty difficult shot profile. And he's a guy that you can look at and say like, all right, he shot 34% last year, but he's a shooter, right? He took something like 62, 63% of his shots from three on the year and is big enough just by being a six, six body that like, he's not a bad defender. He can hang on the defensive end. And he's not quite on the level prospect of some of the other guys that we have talked about so far, but he is a guy that I, I wouldn't mind getting into as like a, a post hype sleeper to kind of break back out in his third year. He kind of burst on the scene a little bit more off the bench for Kansas um, his freshman year and was scorching shot 45% from, from three and uh, kind of like blew up as a guy that maybe had NBA in his future. And I don't think we want to lose sight of that because of a slightly off character shooting season. Um, not to say that he's really knocking on the door for the first round or anything, but he's a middle of the pack guy that I have an eye on potentially breaking out and showing himself that maybe he's a top 45 guy. Um, he moves really well too. Um, I want to say that for like a six, sure. six shooter uh, laterally, he gets um, and that's, Something I look for when I'm trying to extrapolate the level a shooter can be is is less their like straight up shooting skill and a lot more their um, movement skills because that's what separates like a Joe Harris from a um, Jordan Seibert, right? It's like Jordan Seibert is like super stiff and can't run off a screen to save his life, but Joe Harris runs off screens and is super fluid. Um, that, that like little different in the flexibility of their hips, even though those dudes are probably similar calibers of shooters if you were to just put him in an open gym and ask him to knock down shots like Christian Braun has that he is a confident shooter um, off a lot of movement at Kansas uh, he's going to be asked to be their primary floor spacer this year uh, Kansas always runs um, a really boring and frustrating to watch offense um, and Christian Braun will be a the, the safety valve for a lot of that so um, yeah. I'm interested to see what his role looks like but yeah sneaky like can't get into the top 45 guy uh, if you're a fan on movement shooters. Yeah, and he can get it off the dribble a little bit and just a little bit more to the fact that that shooting was a little bit of an anomaly last year. He shot 31% on unguarded catch-and-shoot threes. Like, that's not who he is. You can see with his off-ball shooting or off-ball movement shooting and his confidence even shooting off the dribble a little bit, like, he is a shooter. So even if you're projecting those 50 or so possessions at like, I don't know, 35% instead of 31, it makes a difference. And he's a shooter, like you said, moves well, kind of looks like that guy that you can imagine running off screens at the next level and looks the part is half the battle. So I wouldn't be surprised if he broke out a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. We can't spend Uh, any more time on Christian Brown. Probably not in our best interest. Uh, Okay, sweet. So we're going to move on to the next section, um, and that's the guards. Um, You know, Coop and I get a little sad when we have to stop talking about wings, but here it is. 
Um, there's some interesting guards in this class, some of which, you know, are, are wing sized enough that, that they'll keep us happy. Um, and we're going to start with a lot of people's top return. I would say the majority of people's top returner uh, played at FIBA U19 plays for Purdue, who's a projected top five team. And that's Jaden Ivy. Um, I'm going to throw it to Coop first because Ivy is someone who I've struggled to get a, a real grasp on how I feel about him. Uh, Davis talked about him in the uh, draft preview pod. Um, so Coop, how are you feeling about Ivy? I'm excited about Ivy. Uh, I think what he brings to the table, like unless you count Griffin or Usman as guards, I think he's my top guard right now uh, just because of what he could do in this offense this year at Purdue. Uh, I think you already know that he's going to be a great defender and he showed like little flashes of all this stuff. And you saw a bit more at FIBA as well, but uh, I'm really hoping he can just like put it all together and, you know, add, you know, either shooting or passing to his crafty finishing on the inside and his just ridiculous defense. So you brought up that shooting coop. And I think that's where a lot of people are going to swing on Ivy. Um, CJ, where are you at on Ivy as a shooter? Because he shoots a lot and he shoots comfortably off the dribble. It looks like, but just doesn't really go in right now so where are you at on i as a shooter yeah i don't i'm lower on his overall shooting prospects i don't think i don't love his natural touch and he's really a crafty finisher something like 75th percentile um finishing at the rim but he was only two or two of 12 on a very low number of floaters attempted and it there's no better way for me to explain this than it feels like the ball comes out of his hand a little heavy on the jump shot. And I don't, I don't think that that's a fatal flaw by any means. I have him very, I'm very high on Jaden Ivey. I have him top 20, but I think it's a little bit of a knock on him as a prospect just because of how um, important shooting is really at the NBA level. Right. And if he's going to be able to survive off ball, I would like to see his percentages start to creep up a little bit. But at this point, I think entered the NBA after a sophomore year, right? I think he's probably a below league average shooter, which doesn't, it's not a death knell by any means. He's a really great basketball player. Guys that can get to the rim and finish to the rim like him will always have a spot in the league, but it maybe takes him a step off of that top returner tier for me. Yeah. So I, you mentioned you have him top 20. I might be the lowest of all of us on Ivy. Um, I just, I just, I, I don't know if he's a point guard and if he can't shoot, I don't know if he's a two and it's, he's just sort of exists in this weird spot where, where I haven't really figured out where I want to place him. Um, I would, you know, that's actually CJ, you described it in the perfect way. Like the ball just looks heavy. Um, he looks like he sort of labors at the very top of his stroke as he's shooting. And he's just like, can't figure out how to just shoot a light ball. Um, and it's coming out, it's coming out uh, hard. It usually hits off the rim pretty hard. Uh, and I think what worries me too, is it's a lot of different misses. It's not always, you know, if it was always short, that's something, if it was always long, that's something, but uh, he was sort of all over the rim. Um, he is a, an, an incredible finisher. Like his finishing is really fun to watch. Um, and the handles really nice too with, combined with his downhill athleticism. I think what really works for his handle is how quickly he gets out of moves. So if he hits a quick cross, um, he's, he's by a guy with that step. He's not having to put together these like ridiculous combos. 
He's just, it, it's a couple, it's a move and a step and he's by someone. So I like that with Ivy a lot. And I'm just, I'm really interested to see what he adds to his game this year. He looked, I mean, all the parts of maybe the best player playing for USA in the U19s this year are up there in terms of like, you know, he had had a year of college. He was ready for this. He's young for his class. There's a lot to like with Ivy. Um, Stone, do you have any Jaden Ivy thoughts? Um, I'm probably closer to where you are than um, the other two, I think, in terms of where I, how I view Ivy, uh, mostly because of offensive concerns, which you guys have pretty much hit on, so I don't have much to add there. I just think he's really um, – he, he's a crazy athlete, and he uses that athleticism really well on the defensive end, which is, I think, what's fueling my interest in him at this point in time. Um, so if he can, you know, actually – uh, work on that shot and get it down and become maybe a little bit better of a decision maker, then I could easily see myself having him top 20. Uh, but at this point in time, I'm not quite sure I'm, I'm that high on him yet. I think part of why I'm lower on him, and this is something I feel like I've, I've said a ton and, and I only grow more and more consistent in this is just in general, I, I don't care that much about guard defense. It's, it's a great booing skill if you have the requisite offensive talent. Um, but I like, I've never bought that as a, what makes a prospect is their guard defense. Um, but he does navigate screens really well. It's really fun to watch. Um, but he, I would say he's a tier below that, like Deuce McBride level of defender right now, even though he is a little bit bigger. Uh, so that'll be interesting to watch. Um, the next guy we're going to talk about is, Formerly of Auburn, kind of wish he was still at Auburn, but instead is going to go play for boring-ass Tennessee, uh, and that's Justin Powell. Um, I hate watching Tennessee, but I'm going to love it this year because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge Justin Powell fan. Uh, Stone, I think you are similarly in on him, so do you want to kind of give the Justin Powell take? Uh, I'm actually uh, – spoiler alert, I'm not quite um, in on him as, as you are, but um, – I, he is interesting. He's a really, as a shooter, like as the, um, you know, knockdown sort of shooter archetype, he's interesting because he seems to know what he wants to do with the ball. Like as soon as he gets it, he's a pretty decisive decision maker, which is what interests me. Um, he is not the best playmaker, but he, um, he gets a lot of those sort of hockey assists where he gets those secondary passes because he makes those good decisions on the perimeter. He keeps the ball moving constantly. Um, I don't think the ball is usually like ever in his hands longer than like five seconds because he, he pretty much is, knows what he wants to do with it as soon as he gets it. Um, that, I don't, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I'm not sure if you do, Bryce, but I feel like the majority of his shooting came from spot-ups as opposed to like movement or anything like that. Um, so I'd like to see a little bit more versatility this year in terms of um, the way he gets his shots off uh, as a shooter, because I think he's capable of being a good movement shooter. I just didn't see a ton of it uh, to begin with. Um, but yeah, I think he there's a lot to like with Powell as a shooter. Um, and I'm sure you have more as the resident shock doc, shot doctor on our podcast here. Um, and I think he's pretty good at getting himself off ball. So getting himself open off ball, I should say. So uh, if you have anything more to add to that, I would definitely love to hear it. Um, I don't necessarily buy movement shooting with Powell. Uh, his his hips are pretty stiff, and he looks sort of uncomfortable with sort of those quick uh, changes in directions, especially sort of a flip of the hips. You know, it's, that's something that 
almost is is the limiting factor of you being a movement shooter um but he he has range on the shot he's comfortable in spot ups and he creates some space um with off ball movement um so even if it's not like quick hitters he can kind of get himself open uh what i really like about powell is that i do see the on ball upside there he is you know six four i think six five um and i like he looked solid running the point for auburn not great because um it clearly wasn't what his role was expected to be but um he's a he's a smart passer um and the handle like he created legit space i think the worry is that he doesn't get downhill at all like at all um but you know his shooting that passing i think there's something there again he's not like this isn't like someone i'd have first round i'm not gonna pound the drum that he's better than Jaden ivy or anything but um like justin powell is someone who really interests me and i just i, I just really really wish he wasn't playing at tennessee this year because uh the the Jaden springer Keon johnson tape was uh, maybe the least fun to watch of anyone last year and um i just if i have to see justin powell post-ups i'm gonna lose it so um uh, before we uh, before we spend too long on Justin Powell, we're gonna move on to Caleb Love, uh, and the reason I paused there is because I just I just I really don't know what to make of Caleb Love. We're gonna have an interesting discussion here because I think some people uh, here view him differently. So CJ, I'm gonna throw it to you first. Uh, what is your thought? What are your thoughts on Caleb Love? Obviously, that really odd freshman season, he was kind of expected to be a lottery pick, I think coming in last year and uh, really just did not have the, the season he expected at UNC. What are you hoping for from Caleb Love and how do you view him as a prospect? Yeah, I'm buying low on Caleb Love's stock. I think it is an absolute death sentence for a guard the last two years to try to have any semblance of a good season in the late twilight of Roy Williams' career down there. Um, there was way too many Baycott and um, sharp like double center lineups where they'd mix in a power forward or two. The only other shooter on the floor ever at any point was really Kerwin Walton. And I buy um, love as a shooter. He shot the ball well in high school. Um, He shoots it with a lot of like, he shoots high volume threes. And I think that he's a better shooter than it let on. It's hard to shoot though when there's no one on the team that's getting you easy looks and when no one else on the team needs to be guarded from the perimeter, the paint was constantly clogged for the second year in a row. UNC had one of the worst uh, spacing metrics on my space and gravity stuff. And really I ended up being high on Cole Anthony after his freshman year. And I don't think Caleb love is quite the prospect that Cole Anthony was, but Cole Anthony who I thought was a really good prospect, looked terrible at UNC. And I don't know how we could expect a guy who I have maybe a tier below in Caleb Love to look any better than that. It's not like the context was any better this year. Um, the floor was jammed. He had, he had to do everything himself. And it's a tough learning curve for a freshman point guard to have to step into that spot and get no veteran help on offense. And he didn't handle it very well, but I don't think that that's a death knell on him as a prospect. And I'd be willing to bet on his upside as a former top high school prospect that was in a really crappy situation than a few of the other guys in the range where I see him falling on drafts right now. So for the price, I'm in on Caleb Love. 
Interesting. I want to ask you really quickly, CJ, like how do you view love as a passer? Um, obviously you mentioned, um, you know, Roy Williams did not run a, a system conducive to a point guard being able to make uh, advantage passes. I'm hopeful that Hubert Davis runs something a little more interesting because there is a lot of shooting on this team and a lot of potential for him to really have a space floor. Um, but even going back to high school and EYBL stuff, uh, like I, I, I've never really seen Caleb Love's passing as even adequate at the point guard level. So are you a little more hopeful there or, or do you think he's mostly a better sort of a really versatile, really good shooter at the point guard spot? Yeah, I think a lot of it is role projection, right? So if you see Caleb Love as a starting point guard at the, at the NBA level, I think that you would be concerned about the passing, right? I, I didn't like it as a, a in high school, like you said, he didn't show anything to quell those concerns in UNC, granted tough context, but usually when a guy can pass, you can see it. A lot of his assists were more volume of assists from having the ball than like Jordan Hall vision assists. That being said, I think his most likely NBA role is bench gunner and instant offense and point guard that you can turn in, turn the ball over to as a seventh, eighth man and let him, you know, see if he can get something going. Right. So I don't think he's a very good passer, but I also never really did, you know, like even when I was projecting him out in a good UNC year, it was never like, because he's a floor general, he is he's closer to the score first guard mentality than the pass first guard mentality. And I'm cool with that as a prospect. He, he's not going to be asked to run a team at any level. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's fair. Uh, Coopstone, do you guys have any Caleb love thoughts? Uh, we had him marked for everyone, but I feel like CJ completely knocked it out of the park. So go ahead. If you think uh, you guys got something to say. Um, I'll just sort of, Caleb Love is sort of the antithesis of what I dislike in prospects um, as a bad decision maker. And I, I think the passing is what is largely indicative of that. Like, I think he's an actively like bad passer. Um, and I know I'm coming off harsh. I just, I don't really sugarcoat it when it comes to prospects. Um, I think he's a, not a good passer. And my concern is if he's a scoring guard, like I'm, it's the worst possible context for him, just like Cole Anthony. So I have a lot of hope. And again, I'm going in with an open mind to, to hope that he is going to be able to show that his efficiency can go up this year. Um, but if, you know, if the efficiency doesn't go up like a large amount for me, it's going to be really difficult for me to buy Caleb Love as a prospect as a, a point guard who can't, make great decisions as a scorer or a passer. Um, so that's really sort of where I'm worried about him. Um, and I'm like notably high on high field guys and, and the high IQ guys. So maybe that's, uh, maybe that's sort of where I'm coming from. I'm being a little too harsh, but um, like he's got flashes of, of things he does well. Like he's a decent off ball mover. I think um, he attacks the rim like pretty fearlessly, which is, at times a double-edged sword because I don't think necessarily all the times he should be attacking. Um, it, it's the best option for him, but um, there's like flashes of things he can do, but if he's in a much better context this year and he's able to maximize on that as well as improve on what he was actively bad on last season, then there's room for Caleb Love to be like a comfortably draftable player. But 
as of right now, I'm just not seeing it with him. Um, and in large part, that may be due to context. It's just very hard to suss that out. Yeah, uh, I should note I was also super low on Cole Anthony. So, you know, if I had Cole Anthony as a second round pick, it's hard for me to see having Caleb Love as um, super draftable, but we'll, we'll see. Uh, I'm, I'm hopeful because um, Caleb Love high school tape was super fun because he just took like insane shots. Um, but, big earthquake. Oh, really? Yeah. Whoa. Is everything all right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. was, yeah, I just jolted. Okay, if we have to stop things, let us know. Um, but uh, in the midst of, of a big earthquake Stone is experiencing, uh, we're still going to talk about basketball because uh, what else is more important? Uh, Coop, I want to hear your thoughts on Baylor's Adam Flagler. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited to watch Baylor again this year, um, and, and it's mostly for Flagler. Uh, and, and of course, the beautiful systems that Scott Drew runs. So uh, give us your, your, your Adam Flagler thoughts. So Flagler really thrived last year as an off-ball guard who could do a little bit of self-creation. Like all four of the Baylor guards last year were on and off-ball threats. Uh, and I'm really excited to see Flagler take on more on-ball stuff where he wasn't asked to do it as much when you have three other guys who are above you in the pecking order. Uh, you know, he's the typical Baylor, no weaknesses guard. Uh, he's a good shooter, like 43% from three and 87% from the line. Uh, pretty impressive, if I do say so myself. But he, like, I'm really excited to see, like, him step into the the power vacuum I was talking about earlier with Matt Meyer, uh, because he's the one who I think should be able to, you know, really build this offense, you know, with the younger guy prospects coming in and a lot of guys who were in smaller roles stepping up, you know, he's the guy who, you know, I think will be asked to do a lot and he could really take a huge step this year. And I'm really, really excited to watch uh, Baylor. Yeah. So I think Flagler is one of those guys who's just, I feel like he's just going to get that Baylor bump to end up as a first round pick next year, or at least a near first round pick. Um, he just does everything you could want a guard to do, I, you know, except like the rim pressure is, is my big question with Flagler. Um, I, I, you know, I, I like the space on the Baylor team. I, and it's just, it's going to be a lot up to him to get to the rim. Um, and, and, you know, he doesn't have like the Davion Mitchell athleticism or the Jared Butler craft. So, like, I don't think he's the level of guard prospect those guys were, but um, I definitely see him as sort of that ideal. Uh, we have a jumbo creator on our team. Uh, we want a guard who's, who's good enough to guard other guards, going to space the floor, can run a solid pick and roll. I, I could see Flagler doing that, absolutely. Um, Stone, uh, do you want to give us the take on uh, Illinois' Andre Curbelo, uh, one of the more interesting guard returners, I'm not completely sold. He's even really a 2022 guy, but uh, there is a lot of excitement for Curbelo. So do you want to give the breakdown? Would I ever. Um, Curbelo is really fun to watch, I think. And again, it's difficult for me to buy into some of these guys that are not great decision makers. But with Curbelo, he, as a guard especially, but 
with Corbello, he has really interesting ancillary skills um, where like scoring wise, he makes some tough shots. He's really good in the mid range on like these fadeaways and weird uh, turnarounds and things like that, where he has nice touch there. Um, so although the three point percentage was extremely awful last year, there's a lot of touch, um, both finishing wise and in the mid range where you can see that maybe that's not entirely, uh, fair, at least at that, that low of a number. Um, and it was on fairly full, fairly low volume as well. Uh, but he certainly doesn't lack any confidence, which I guess that makes for the most fun guys to watch. Um, he can finish with both hands. Uh, he, he does a lot of these like reverse layups and high off the glass layups and things like that, um, where he's really crafty. And so he's able to um, get around to defenders sort of slithery like and then uh, get around like wingspans and things by, by putting it high off the glass. Um, he has really high arc too on a lot of his mid-range stuff, which is interesting. Um, so he, he's, he knows how to get around defenses even when he's not necessarily able to get around them with his ball handling. Um, he's pretty shifty though. Uh, he has a lot of turnovers at times. Like there is, I forgot who it was against, but um, he was running the point for a while and he had like three back-to-back-to-back turnovers. And it's just uh, something he really has to work on cleaning up this season. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, if he can um, clean up his decision-making both offensively with the turnovers and defensively when it comes to gambling a bit. Um, I do like Curbelo as at that like peak of his draft stock, a first round type guy. So um, I, I'm really interested to see what he can do with Illinois this year. Yeah, CJ, uh, I know you also uh, have some interest in Curbelo, so I'll take it away. Yeah, I like him. And it's tough for me because I think that he probably projects mostly as a backup point guard at the NBA level. And it's hard for me to rank guys like that, like one position backup point guards, because it's such a replacement level position, kind of like um, center backup centers kind of turned into. That being said, he's one of the most fun players to watch in college basketball. And if you've been listening to this pod this long, you'll you've heard me already say, that one of the things I value is, you know, like mistakes, but the right kind of mistakes. And I'd rather reel a guy in than teach the aggressiveness and the instincts. And Stone touched on it, without a doubt. He turned the ball over a lot. He gambles on defense a lot. But I think they're, for the most part, 80-20 intelligent attempts, and he gets caught out of position, and that's always going to happen. But I love guys with that natural instinct to go try to make a play, whether it's doing maybe a little too much trying to fit a ball into a hole that he, does, he doesn't know he can't hit yet, or he can't hit at the college level, but he could hit at the high school level, or trying to like hunt for a smart steal on defense or something like that. I think as he reps it out over this season, next season, he'll start to get more of a feel of what he can do what he can, can't get away with, stuff like that. And I, I think he'll, I think he's a naturally smart player. And I think reps will help him rein that in and get a feel of like, okay, maybe this hole closes a little bit quicker in college than it did in high school. So I think that there are absolutely um, scenarios where he's an eight year backup point guard in the league. 
And it's probably never going to show up very highly in my rankings because kind of like how you're a big wing guy, just backup point guard eight years in the league is awesome. And like, you want to find that guy, but it doesn't move the needle per se. You can find a, a backup point guard type for a couple million in free agency every year. You don't necessarily need it to be that guy. So while Curbelo may not be a guy that I end up ranking very highly, I love watching him play. And out of the backup point guard bets, he would be my bet as a guy that we see in the league um, for six, seven years by the end of his career. Yeah, for sure. So we're not going to turn this into a philosophy pod because we'll be here all night. But I will say certain t- like, the, like the right backup point guard is a real uh, floor raiser for teams. Um, it's just it does matter more than I th- than I think we sometimes give it credit for. The average backup point guard, pretty replaceable. Um, you know, Shane Larkin could probably be a, a top 10 backup point guard in the league right now, stuff like that. But the top backup point guards, your, you know, Lou Williams or uh, my, my brain is blanking, but there are like these top backup point guards who really do kind of raise the floor for a team. Um, and Curbelo could be that. There's even some starter equity there. Um, because I think the shot is is better than that than that horrible number from three, because uh, the touch is, is pretty nuts and the shot looks fine. I just I just don't think he was shooting it well. Um, he's always sort of been a, a streaky shooter, but he's never been an awful shooter like he looked like at Illinois. Um, so I expect that to sort of round into shape. Um, but CJ, I want to hear the Isaiah Wong pitch because he's someone who I haven't really seen it with. Um, I, I recently tweeted to, to some ire that he's like my fourth favorite prospect of Miami. Um, so why don't you try and convince me on Isaiah Wong or at the very least kind of give your thoughts on him? Yeah, I don't I don't think I have thoughts strong enough that are conv- going to convince you. Um, Isaiah Wong, combo guard out of Miami. I think that it's, I officially have to trademark Isaiah Wong at Mavs draft, right? Rich gets money every time you mention Isaiah Wong, I'm pretty sure. But he is, as far as engine bets goes, he he's a decent under the radar one. Um, really, really efficient as a pick and roll ball handler, especially as a scorer. He doesn't have a whole lot of off ball equity, honestly. And that probably stunts his ultimate NBA um, upsides because I don't, love how well he kicks over to an off-ball guard position. But guys that can get downhill, score at the rim, and his shooting is improved to this year, it's it's an interesting skill set. He probably maxes out as a like quadruple A guy that might be in the league, might not be in the league. But I, I do think that I do think that he at least gets an NBA shot. So he's worth bringing up talking about here. Did that, yeah. uh, did that really <laughs> aggressively dig my heels in and turn you to an Isaiah Wong fan? Because that's what I was going for. Not uh, <laughs> not, not particularly. I hope um, I do hope he leaves after this year so Luga can get the keys to the offense next year um, because uh, that dude is fucking nuts. I can't even describe to you the game of Luga Poplar. Um, but, of course, uh, the great PD was like, you should watch this dude. It's like, okay. And then I did, and, and my mind was blown. Uh, but anyways, um, I think for me, my issue with Wong is I just, 
I have a very simple heuristic for for sort of guards who I don't see as the top lottery type guys, and that's I want you to do two of three things. And that's either shoot at a high level, um, generate a ton of rim pressure at a high level, or pass at a high level. I want you to, if you have two of those three things. I think I can see it like at least a little bit, you know, a fourth one sort of ancillary is be a good defender or whatever. Um, and, and I just don't see that with Wong. And for the most part, if you don't kind of pass that, like it's hard for me to see you as super draftable um, because guards like, like skilled guards are sort of a dime a dozen at a certain point and finding out um, which ones are worth drafting, you know, say in the top 45 range, separating that from, from the rest of the pack is, is, I think sometimes a simpler exercise than I make it out to be, but Wong is at least interesting with just how shifty he is as a solid athlete. So yeah, um, I kind of get where you're Don't come at me in 10 months and say I was the Isaiah Wong guy. I, you know, I mean, I <laughs> think he's that's fine. Rich yeah, no one, yeah. Could ever, no one could ever be the Isaiah Wong guy except for Rich. Yeah. Like this is, he's, and I hope, you know what, Rich, uh, what I respect about him, like for someone who is as big as he is, like he takes his bets and you know Absolutely. Wong could be the hit there I mean I love Rich and and I trust him as an evaluator um even if I don't see it like I think there's interesting stuff there but uh I'm a Harlem Beverly guy over Isaiah Wong I guess uh but Stone uh you could talk about another guy who I'm sort of iffy <laughs> on but I know you really like uh, and that's Nigel Pack so just sort of give a quick little breakdown of Pack yeah uh I may be the only Nigel Pack fan in on planet earth but um I think he he's interesting man like he's got uh he's a pretty good shooter off of movement too um he's a pretty versatile shooter uh underrated ball handler i don't think you got to see a lot of it last season um hopefully maybe with a little bit more of an increased role this year he'll have the opportunity to um he's a, like in high school he was a really really good ball handler his change of pace and change of direction is something that I don't think a lot of people talk about. Not that a lot of people talk about Nigel Peck anyways, but uh, if they do, ball handling doesn't come up a whole lot. Um, he's got a really good floater game as well. So just kind of carrying that um, commonality of, of shooting and touch. Um, I think he's got it really at all three levels, to be honest. Um, and he's got really great deceleration when it comes to like uh, pull-up jumpers and things like that. You can stop on a dime at the free throw line and pull up. Uh, the biggest thing is he is generously listed as six foot tall. Um, that's going to be a little bit of a hindrance, uh, but overall his game is just really enticing to me. Um, probably not to other people, but um, he's somebody that if it's not 2022, he has an opportunity to be a draftable player. I think at some time down the road. You know, since we let Stone talk about Nigel Pack, I should get to be able to talk about one of like Michael DeVoe or like, um no, I uh, have Ty Tyrese Ra Tyrese Radford you know like like let's get into this uh Nahim Aleen I think it's I don't even know how you say that name Nahim Aline <laughs> you don't even know who you're talking about Virginia Tech dude Virginia Tech is gonna be so fun I cannot wait to watch Virginia Tech like low-key sleeper to win the ACC uh, but that's yeah, the seventh fun. man on Cal Poly really caught my eye this year <laughs> no, okay yeah. for real though for real though uh um Oh, what is that? That UC Davis, uh, Elijah Pepper from Sela, Washington, uh, real stud, excellent shooter. Synergy stats looking pretty solid. So, I mean, just I'm just saying, give him a look. Give him a look. 
Uh, but we're, this is this is this is exactly how we would be wrapping up this pod. But we have one last guy to talk about. Someone who I've seen a couple people have as their top returner. Guys, I really trust. Uh, guys like Brian Draft and uh, I want to say Jake Rosen as well. That's Kadari Richmond. Uh, Kadari was at Syracuse, transferred now to Seton Hall, which I kind of wish he would have transferred to like a, a better school. But you know, it is what it is um i've been all i've been going for a college's throats tonight i don't know what it is um but kadari richmond super interesting cj i'm gonna throw it to you first uh what do you think of kadari and and what are you expecting from this year at seton hall yeah i i like kadari more just on a personal level i'm glad he got out of syracuse jim boheim hated him him and alan griffin whenever anything went a little bit wrong when kadari started feeling himself a little bit boheim pulled the plug and I'm actually on the opposite end of you on Seton Hall. I think it's a perfect fit for his mentality. They have a long history of um, empowering, like tough, fun guards. And I, I think it's, I'm hopeful that he's next on the list. And I, I do think he's an NBA guy. He's opening this year, top 40 for me, for sure. But really, I'm just excited for Kadari to get to be Kadari a little bit because he's a really, really fun player. And he deserves so much better than Jim Boheim. Yeah, uh, we we can absolutely turn this into the Boheim slander pod if if we feel so inclined. Right up there with Rick Barnes is just like the most disgusting offenses and defenses imaginable are run by those guys. Like it is it is miserable to watch. Um, I I you know Boheim and Joe Girard the third they deserve each other um but if you don't want to watch uh, him just feed his son for 40 minutes a game are we talking buddy or, or oh, is it oh, buddy. Jimmy what's the other well, I don't they just got another one and I, oh, I don't know I hope there's too many the best yeah um but uh Kadari generates a lot of impression and you're right Jay I, I sort of overlooked that that um they do empower guards uh just tends to be guards who i don't like as much as kadari yeah, I mean, um, it's not... yeah i mean but miles power powell i mean he was empowered like uh he could do whatever the hell he wanted out there and i hope that for kadari um interesting uh scoring package uh kadari gets downhill a lot he's a really really good point guard athlete sees the floor really well a solid passer the jump shot has kind of been come and go but uh i think there's real upside with that um, I'm a Kadari fan. I think there's a real chance he is kind of pushing the lottery if things go right. But he's also one of those guys who's a huge swing because um, if like if things don't look good at Seton Hall, then I doubt he's like draftable on my board. Like it's just he really could have that sort of um, that wide variance between lottery and, and undrafted on my board. So I'm really he's one of those guys who I'm really fascinated to see who I don't think I have a great grasp on because of. Bayheim just if he did something wrong he was out if he was doing too good and he tried to do something that was like like a heat check he was out so you know never got a feel for Qatari I actually really liked Alan Griffin last year as like a um kind of by low undrafted guy I still think he probably deserves a two-way somewhere um but kind of got the same thing um so I'm hoping for more from Qatari this year uh, but I think that's going to wrap up. This is just part one. We are going to come back and talk about bigs. You're going to have to hear me talk uh, endlessly about how much I love WSU at the start of next episode. And that is um, that is all your guys' fault. Um, this has been awesome. CJ, we can't thank you enough for taking the time out. We know it's late for you. So it means a lot you come on here. Uh, just tell the people where they can find all your great stuff, man. 
Yeah, well, first of all, I appreciate you guys having me on and I'm looking forward to part two. I'm always free for you guys. Um, other than that, I've been I've been a little bit busy with some basketball stuff right now, so I haven't had much public work out, but we're looking about getting ramped back up with the Steppy in this year. And you, there's no bigger um, pusher of Roll Call Sports than you, Bryce, which I appreciate. So we have some really big things planned for Roll Call this year. And Bryce is going to be a part of it. Cooper's going to be a part of it. One day I'm going to talk Stone into being a part of it. And uh, we, we have some really exciting stuff planned for the next couple of weeks and for the whole season. So check us out there. And you can follow me at CJ Marchesani on Twitter. Yeah, uh, follow CJ, and then uh, I'm going to take this little bit to plug roll call as much as possible. Um, the stuff we're doing is is so fun. Um, you know, it's it's been a little it's been a little slow to get started as as you know, it's been the off season still. But I just know like once season gets started, I really think we're going to have pieces from from different teams daily and just a ton of stuff constantly coming out. And I'm so excited for that. I've been working on a ton of stuff. Uh, you know, I put out my 2022 preview that ended up you know being like a short novel um and like i'm working on stuff with my boy william james um about some college previews so we're gonna have college stuff nba stuff it's just it's really really exciting roll call is is a great place for uh amateur writers to kind of get themselves going it's helped me find uh different work in different spots and continually grow um who i am as a writer and and who as a who i am as an evaluator um coop I know you do stuff on roll call. He is at Cooper underscore rockets. Um, Stone is at report underscore court. I'm at Bryce Hendrick 14. Again, CJ's at CJ Marchesani. Uh, this has been awesome. We hope we hit our ceiling, guys. Thank you.